Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. And as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, I'm speaking to a paranormal investigator from Melbourne, Australia. Just before we get to that though, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to Paranormal Thoughts. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. If you know of anyone who might be interested in the podcast, feel free to share it with them. Uh, You can also leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use. That helps us out massively. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Definitely check out Instagram. I'm far more active over there, but we'll keep you in the loop for every time I post and everything kind of along those sort of lines. So my guest today is Hannah. Her Instagram is h.hauntsparanormal. Now, I've been following Hannah for, I'm not actually sure how long, probably some years now. You know, I, of course, I'm into the paranormal. I follow a fair few accounts which are relevant to that but what caught my eye with Hannah is well first of all she's Australian as well so um love supporting uh fellow Australians over here at Paranormal Thoughts but um she posts a lot of great evidence that she finds on her investigations which a lot of people do but every time I see her evidence I was always like really interested to sort of learn more and to kind of actually hear the backstory of how she's captured some of these moments. So I kind of just thought, oh, well, why don't we actually just have her on and we'll actually have a conversation. And it was a really enjoyable chat. You're going to hear that we share a lot of the same views, which is, you know, I mean, it's it's nice when people kind of agree with you, of course, but it really just reinstates um, sort of my beliefs uh, in a lot of in the paranormal, or specifically in um, spirits uh, and, you know, paranormal investigating. Thank you so much to Hannah for taking the time to chat with me. And I hope you guys really enjoy uh, my chat with Hannah. Hannah, well, thank you so much for taking the time and having a chat with me here tonight. No worries. Hannah, I'm so curious to, I guess, know a little bit about yourself and how you've actually gotten into paranormal investigating. Um, so I actually grew up in the UK. And um, when I was over there, I had a couple of experiences that led me to be very open to the paranormal world. So um, I used to live in a town called Saltaire uh, in West Yorkshire. And the whole town was built around a salt mill. um, And they were all just tiny little houses, like two rooms downstairs, two rooms upstairs. And I used to have an imaginary friend called Honey. And he was a little boy, um, sepia-toned, I would describe him, which is such a random detail, but he was just like this weird brownie colour. Um, but he wore a little cap, he wore little shorts, and he was just really, really dirty. And the best way I could describe him was like the colour of honey. And um, we were friends for a couple of years. And as I've gotten older, I can still remember his voice. I can still remember playing with him. I can still remember what he looks like. So it led me to believe that maybe... It wasn't just um, imaginary. Maybe it was something a little bit more. Um, then as we moved uh, around to get ready to come to Australia, we moved to a renovated church, which was a five-story building. And, um, yeah, this church was, like, was phenomenal. But it was very scary. So <laughs> uh, it had a basement that had um, an original stone slab in it that they used to do autopsies on. Um, 
funeral work was done out of the home. It was a school during the wars and then it got renovated into a private residence, which is where we lived before we moved to Australia. And um, yeah, those experiences that were coming out of that home were frightening, but still my family around me encouraged, well, not encouraged, but let me believe that, you know, ghosts are there, they're normal, they're not going to hurt you, which was a weird thing, but comforting thing. It's hard to describe that. Uh, feeling of being scared, but everyone's kind of aware that it's all good. <laughs> no, I, I think that's great that your parents really were open to it. And I don't know, I guess it's one thing, uh, as you said, it's kind of weird, but I guess how great is that, that rather than just not hearing what you have to say and just, you know, uh, blowing you off, I suppose, that, you know, you're able to actually embrace it. And I don't know, that's a very fortunate uh, situation, I think. It is. So I then moved to Australia and within the first couple of years of being here, we actually had eight family members pass away, which was quite significant. Um, and I was 13 at this time, starting high school, you've got all the puberty things, but to have this level of grief on top of that move was quite um, difficult to process. And because of this, I was having a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, one night I was sitting up in bed and I was playing my Game Boy. I had Pokemon playing, as you do as a 13-year-old in the early 2000s. And um, I looked up and this woman just walked into my bedroom. So she came through the door, she walked to the end of my bed and then she walked all the way back out. And I remember just in pure panic mode, like this was beyond any sort of other paranormal experience I've ever encountered. At this time I wasn't really thinking about my imaginary friend or the random experiences that had happened at the old church, which was just little things like lights turning on and off, footsteps, that kind of behaviour. This was an actual full apparition that I'd just witnessed. And it wasn't the experience that everyone thinks it's going to be. You know, when you see a ghost, oh, my God, I've seen a ghost. It was pure fear. And I can't explain the impact that that had on me. I was already in a fragile state. That's why I mentioned that. tough time in my life because I was already definitely fragile. (laughs) But um, to have this on top of that, I definitely know what I saw. I was awake. I was playing my Game Boy. And then all of a sudden, this woman was just in my bedroom, walking through and walking out. And then from there, it was pretty traumatic. I'm not going to lie. I was actually vomiting with fear because everything reminded me of this incident. I couldn't get it out of my mind. Um, But it also brought me a little bit of comfort in knowing that, okay, all of these people that I've lost, like maybe there is something out there. And over the years, I sort of um, became more comfortable with the idea, okay, but she didn't hurt me. She didn't do anything to me. She just came in, walked back out, uh, started to research. And, of course, those around this time, we're looking like 2008, 2009, Those TV shows started to come out, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, when these people were just, rather than being scared, they were actually seeking out answers. And that really just fueled a passion for me that I didn't really understand. And I wanted to learn and I wanted to be a part of it more. And um, that's when I started to just go on history tours and go on ghost tours. And yeah, now here I am 10, 11 years later after going on my first tour, still investigating more than ever, and I absolutely love it. That's amazing. What an incredible upbringing, you know, or even just, first of all, I, I got to know, it sounds, I, I don't think I've ever heard someone's story where they have experienced so much at such a young age. Do you think you do maybe have a little more of a connection with the other side or do you just think it was like right place, right time? Because that's, I feel like a lot of people might have a significant event but I mean it's like it was following you in a sense you know it's you're really somehow drawn to it. I um, believe that what I witnessed that night with the apparition in my bedroom was a residual haunt. I never saw it again and because it didn't make contact with me I don't believe it was an intelligent uh, entity. I don't think it was malicious in any way I just think she was going about her business and for whatever reason, I was just happened to witness it at that time. I think throughout my life, um, because my family have kind of always been open to another side, none of us, by the way, are religious in any way, shape or form. It wasn't that kind of spirituality. It was just more of a 
yep, they exist, they're there, something else is there um, kind of attitude uh, that made me a bit more open-minded about it. Not, not, it was never black and white. There was no ghosts or there is ghosts. It was more like, you know, be a bit more open to seeing what is out there. And that's really been on my mind throughout the years as I've investigated. Um, I like to think of myself as a skeptical believer in that just because I've seen some things doesn't mean that there aren't logical explanations for them as well. Um, 99% of the things that I experience, especially on investigations, can be explained. And throughout these years, while I have been susceptible to some very spooky experiences, there are also a lot of times where I've gone into investigations and in my life and nothing's happened. And I don't really know if I'm empathic or sensitive. I don't uh, believe I am in any way, shape or form. I think I just go into a room and see what happens, which is my philosophy about investigating. But yeah, I've definitely had my fair share of uh, incidences, that's for sure. Most definitely. It's interesting, I feel like, we grew up in a different time, right? Where, as you said, as we kind of were teenagers, all these shows started to come out. And I guess the paranormal was really brought to the forefront for us, you know, like before that, it wasn't near as accessible to us. You know, I remember, I think I've told the story before of being I think in my like school library and I was able to find a single book on UFOs, you know, but now it's like, you, it's hard to avoid the topic really. But yeah, I, I just think it's so we're sort of this new generation of people who are investigators and even just fans of this stuff where yeah, once upon a time it just would have been more taboo or just no one would have even, even been exposed to it at all, you know. I think it's really weird, but it's I guess it's kind of the future now. I think that accessibility level of people just being able to go out and not be uh, judged for being, you know, Satanists or uh, practicing demonology or and having the negative connotation that comes with that as well that's definitely shifted uh, especially even in the time that I've been doing it and just opening up people's minds and saying hey I'm not going and you know doing Ouija boards every weekend opening portals and bringing things through because I don't necessarily believe in that anyway but it's more of a I go to allegedly haunted places and I set up a series of experiments and I see what happens and it kind of people are more open to talking about that now than being oh, you're bringing demons into the world and that kind of mentality. Um, people are much more open to wanting to talk about that now, which is, I think it's great. I agree. Definitely the kind of religious connotation has been dropped, I feel like, a lot from this stuff. That's obviously where that all came from in a sense, you know, the fear um, of these things being evil and so on. But as you said, like, times have changed and people are way more open, which is great, you know. Like, I never used to specifically talk uh, very openly to people about my sort of interests uh, with this stuff just because they would either think you're weird or, you know, they just think it's bullshit. And you're like, well, I'm not really going to uh, like pour my heart out over here <laughs> talking about this stuff if, you know, you're not even going to be open to it. But now, yeah, there's just this massive shift where, you know, with more disclosure going on with a lot of different topics, it's kind of like, all right, well, yeah, there is a lot to be said, I think, for the unexplained. And we have a lot of great evidence as well. And that's my biggest thing is people say, well, where's the evidence? And I go, it's literally like right here. You're just choosing to ignore it. I think there's a shame element as well about it. And people are also fearful of what other people's reactions would be. I listened to an episode of yours recently about the um, the man who was helping people through alien abductions. And while I may be a very, very skeptical about that content, what he had to say was quite insightful in that people, whether it's true or not, are still feeling like they're experiencing these kinds of things and they don't have anyone to turn to. And even something as basic as just doing paranormal investigating and having an experience where you've seen an entity or you've seen a shadow figure or you've seen something that's unexplainable, um, having a community that you can turn to, you know, like yourself, where you can talk to someone, discuss it and have a rational conversation would not have been able to have been done 10 years ago, even five years ago. And I think what we're evolving into now where it's this more open, communicative environment that we have, um, I think technology is a blessing in that way because it puts us in contact with these people and it's not just this scary witchcraft uh, cult sort of mentality anymore. It's, hey, I'm a normal person. I have a nine-to-five job and I just do this as a hobby. <laughs> like, let's chat ghosts, you know? 
Yeah, no, 100%. It's funny you mentioned that episode because um, I don't typically get a lot of negative sort of response to an episode, like very, very rarely. And typically it's kind of, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's very warranted, but I did have a few people reach out after that episode and go, this guy uh, is kind of like full of shit and so on. And honestly, uh, it, that chat did not go how I kind of predicted it would. But my whole point was, if this guy is actually doing some good, and he he didn't say anything in that episode which could cause harm or you know was anything that was you know was against my sort of beliefs or anything, um, then who am I to gatekeep in a sense? Where you know I think a lot of the things he did say that you could see positives in that, and um, but I do get it. You know, you, if you're going to click on that episode and think it was going to be something very different, it's fair enough. You got to sort of take bits and pieces and apply it to what you are getting out of it. You know, when I speak to people about alien abduction, I think I have a concept of what that actually is. And then you speak to someone, it's like, I don't even know what you're describing because that's not even come across my, you know, the table before. And it's, but you know, this is the thing. It's like hearing people out. And um, also like there are episodes which I have done, which I won't actually put out because I'm like, no, this is too out there or I can't get behind this. But no, it's just, sorry, to go on like a tangent, it's just interesting you mentioned that episode in relation to all of that. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'll, I'm going to ask, so you've had all these experiences as you're sort of growing up I and mean, you mentioned that you started looking into investigating and how did that all sort of take place? How did you figure out your methods and kind of get into the investigative uh, point of view? Well, it's been a lot of trial and error, that's, that's for sure, finding out how I like to investigate, what I want to do. Um, do I want a team of my own? Do I want to be solo? What we did was the first time we went back to England to visit my family, uh, I took my now husband with me. Um, we've been here for, for 13 years. So this was the first time he was actually meeting my extended family. And uh, while we were there, we were traveling through Europe and we did um, the underground vaults in Edinburgh. And we also did the catacombs in Paris. Yeah, we did. I did both of those with my now wife as well um, in 2019, <laughs> which is pretty funny. She's she's learnt to uh, embrace the sort of the paranormal a little bit, but she loved the catacombs. She thought that was like the best thing in Paris. It's so cool. 
Yeah. We waited for about an hour to get in. And then once we were in there, I just didn't want to, it was just. Didn't want to leave. <laughs> immersed in that kind of history. You know, it's, there's nothing like it in Australia. No. Um, so when we did that uh, Edinburgh tour, we had some pretty spooky experiences happen just in terms of um, we had some rocks being thrown and um, a weird oh, sensitivity shift. We were standing in one of the vaults and the guide was telling us uh, just the general history about the room. And I started to get really, really hot. And this is Edinburgh. It's absolutely freezing. I took off my jumper uh, and my coat and I was just sweating. And I look at my um, partner and he's over there and he's also sweating. And I'm like, this is really weird because they make you, you split females on one side, males on another side. It's part of their story. And um, while we met back up, I was like, are you okay? And he's like, are you? I don't know what's going on. And then we thought, oh, maybe we had like gastro or something. <laughs> what was happening? Um, and then the, we stepped out of the vault and we were fine. And then the guide said, oh, is everything okay with you too? Are you just nervous? And we just explained, no, we're feeling really, really hot, but we're fine now. And he said, oh, that's interesting. There was a fire in that um, vault that killed a lot of people. And I just, you know, there was a really weird uh, connection with that. So when we come back to Australia, um, this was the highlight of my trip, like doing this experience and having this weird, sensitive empathic experience that I've never really been able to explain. Maybe I'd heard somewhere else about this and subconsciously something had happened. I can't really explain it. Um, it's not, it doesn't have to be necessarily paranormal. It's just unexplained at this point. We decided to go to Aradale Asylum, uh, which is in Victoria. It's one of the biggest, well, it is the biggest asylum in Victoria. And uh, we did a ghost tour through there. And we also had another pretty a uh, harrowing experience there. We were in the cellar and my boyfriend came up and he put his hand on my hip to comfort me. And I was really, really scared. Like I, I was still uh, dipping my toes in the water after this apparition incident from when I was 13. Like this was still very new, very frightening for me. And um, I was really, really scared. He comes up and he puts his hand on my hip, which I was like, oh, that's nice. He's there. And then when the guy puts the lantern back on, he was actually stood in front of me. And there was no one behind me. So I flew up those stairs. I was so, so frightened, so, so scared because now I've actually physically felt a sensation of someone touching me. Um, and then I left the asylum and maybe a couple months later we went to Geelong Jail. And then for the next 11 years I just kept doing it. <laughs> now that's amazing. Yeah, that's kind of our history. No, that's, that's great. I love hearing that. You were like, I don't know, you had even more experiences. You're like, all right, this is this is definitely something to like look into here. And I can imagine after everything you've experienced, like that curiosity just must be uh like you wouldn't be able to forget about it, you know. So I totally get it's like chasing chasing that next high, isn't it? You know, like trying to figure out um what's going on. And I'm I'm curious to know, um, I know you've mentioned to me previously that you're doing some study, and I'm sure that it, probably does play a part in your investigations. So, uh, but I'm, I'm curious to know, what are you sort of thinking when something actually is unexplainable and you think, okay, this, I think this is actually a spirit or what kind of have you, what do you think that actually means? What, what actually are they? And what, what can you sort of make sense? How do you make sense of that? So my educational background is in psychology and I'm, um, very interested in how humans respond to certain triggers in life. And we know that anxiety and stress can make us behave in certain ways physically. You know, we can get uh, rashes, we can get lose our hair, we can get very tense and, you know, stress can manifest in many ways. I'm really interested to know what fear can do and manifest in us. We already know that human beings have the capacity in our brains to hallucinate. And we know that because uh, drug intake and using hallucinogenic drugs can cause us to see things that aren't there. And we know that that is caused through hormone spikes and decreases. It's not like there's an additive well, sometimes, but basically it's just uh, manipulating our biological chemistry to make our brains react in a certain way. And I strongly, strongly believe that being in a... Um, environment where we are extremely stressed, anxious, and fearful 
with a layer of history on there about this being a haunted building with many murders or many deaths or known demonic activity or whatever layer you put on there is really going to build up not only that paranoia, but that anxiety and that fear that we are going to see a ghost that we might just actually make ourselves believe to the point where we experience it and see it, that something's happening. And the reason that I believe in this, it's just a theory. This is just my theory is from when I started ghost hunting, I would have so many experiences. Every single time I was going, I was seeing a shadow figure. I was having touching sensations. I was seeing things and hearing things. And now that I do this every single weekend, it's probably once a year that I might see something at the corner of my eye that I can't explain. I catch lots of EVPs, which is why I keep coming back because I cannot explain that phenomenon whatsoever. Uh, You know, I've caught spirit photos in the last year as well, where I'll be taking 40, 50 photos. And then in just one photo, there is a shadow figure. And I don't know where that's coming from. And I don't know how that's happening. And that's really bringing me back in maybe to explore that other layer that, okay, now that I'm a pretty calm, rational human, that's not really scared of these environments at all. That is kind of leveling out for me in the process of what's paranormal, what's not paranormal. Are we tricking ourselves? Is something real or not? It all just kind of makes sense that I'm calmer and there's less activity. But of course, I'm just one case study out of a thousand, uh, millions of investigators out there. in terms of if they are real and what they are, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not really religious. I don't denote to that kind of spirituality. I'm not sure what they are. But I do know that when we do go on these investigations and we do get responses, they tend to communicate and they tend to want to be heard and tell us their names and tell us messages and lead us to places. And um, that's quite fascinating. And I, I'm hopeful that it is the human spirit or a soul or whatever that is. But I just, I'm so skeptical and it's just so unknown that it's just, I can't tell you what it is and no one will ever know. Maybe one day. You had another guest on your show called uh, Jill and she had the haunted paranormal house that she bought. And she said uh, it put her mind at ease knowing that there was life after death. And I think a lot of people do put hope into that, into the fact that, you know, I'm seeing ghosts and that gives me for the, my future after I go that there is something more than just this. And I think a lot of people need that. I don't necessarily think I need that. I'm just curious as to know, does that influence our thought process? Does that manipulate what we actually see and project in the world? I'm not too sure. I don't know. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, that was, I love that insight. And I think the way that you're going about it is really the best thing you could do is you go back to these locations like every week and you're able to really get to know those spaces, you know, like anytime I've ever done paranormal investigating, it's like one night and you're kind of there hoping to get something because, you know, you're, it's the one chance you're going to get. But for you, it's like, it's like a routine. You go in um, like Jill as well, like actually owning that location and being able to do investigations at any time of the day um, under different circumstances, I mean, that's the best way to get, I guess, at least like a a balanced kind of reading of, you know, what are these spirits actually doing? Do they have, you know, sort of these characteristics and, you know. I agree. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. It's like really only way to do it is putting the hours in to at least get as the best sort of understanding we can get. But yeah, for me, um, I'm definitely not religious and, you know, maybe somewhat spiritual just because of, I guess the only reason I would consider myself that would just be because of the paranormal and like the strange occurrences that I think there is probably more to, you know, life after death and so on. And I don't, I don't really know, as you said, a lot of people find comfort in that. And of course, like that's a nice, it's a nice thought, but the more I've sort of thought about it, I I mean, I don't think it's what people maybe expect, you know what I mean? And I think there's this, a common thread I sort of see is like maybe it's more like somewhat interdimensional and there's almost maybe kind of like a reincarnation type experience, but it's not in the religious sense. I think it's actually you may be just, you know, moving on, like whatever this energy is because obviously these spirits are, you know, some form of energy and maybe that then 
moves over into this other plane of existence and you're now whatever, you know, I think that's a big thing I'm sort of finding with extraterrestrials and so on is kind of that same sort of thought is like maybe you are just suddenly in this other dimension and then maybe reborn into whatever uh, is in that dimension or what kind of have you. But I think for me, because I'm not religious uh, and I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think there's like a heaven or hell, but regardless, people seem to pass and like a lot of people will have a story about, you know, a family member dying and then, you know, maybe some weird activity kind of happens in the house. And that could definitely be like a psychological thing. You know, you're heightened, you're emotional. Um, I think, I you, think so. yeah, yeah. Your, your brain can definitely have a massive impact on that. But um, I do think that they are spirits who have passed, you know, especially when you hear those stories of, I don't know, someone who did pass in that location and they're literally, you know, you're actually seeing an apparition of that description or, you know, maybe they have like a some sort of quality where, you know, um, I don't know, they enjoyed lavender. So now people smell lavender and I don't know. And as you said too, being in the Edinburgh vaults and not even being aware that there was a fire, but you're actually having that physical reaction, like weird things like that where it, it makes sense. You know, there's it, it goes hand in hand with the history. So I definitely think there is something at play and, yeah, I don't know what that sort of afterlife is. And, you know, from mediums and so on speaking about there is that sort of, you know, the white light, you, you, you cross over. I think there's definitely something to that. But, I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily like a heaven, what can have you. I think it might actually be more scientific in a sense where, yeah, it could be some sort of interdimension type thing. I don't know. The more I think about it, the I sort of get really wishy-washy. I'm sure as you probably know too when you're looking into this stuff so much, um, and even my whole thing is like people don't even think a ton about death, right? Because it's it's not a nice thing. But for years there, I was really fixated on it and going, like trying to educate myself on what could be happening. And then I've sort of moved away a bit from it now and trying to be a bit more present, <laughs> I suppose. But uh, yeah, it's always kind of something that is on my mind, you know. I, I, I'm not sure, but as I feel like as you were kind of saying too, it, if it was people sort of passing and their energy left behind, what kind of have you, I think that seems to make the most amount of sense. It is hard to nail on the head what, what it is. And I don't think that we'll ever be in the position to know until we know. It's very interesting, but I think you've hit the nail on the head with the psychology behind it all and how much people chalk that up, you know, and the longer I do this, the more I become extremely sceptical. That definitely hasn't gone in the other direction where um, I believe anything and everything, it's completely the opposite but yeah it's it's tough it's like yeah because it's like it's as you would know you have all this evidence all these hours investigating and at the end of the day you still can't actually say this is what it is you know it's yeah it is frustrating and i i believe as well like matrixing if you've ever heard of that term it's more of um our brain trying to make sense of an image and what it will do is it will it's basically our danger defense mechanism. So it will look at something and try and pick out something recognizable so that we can make sense of it. And this happens so much in photos where people are saying that they've got a face in this image or they've caught, you know, there's a body laying there, but it's actually just the grain in the image and their matrixing is tricking their brains and they're just not rational enough to try and, that's not trying to be rude as well, but it's just trying to be realistic about it. Hey, do you reckon it could be the quality of the photo or how did you set up this photo? Did you look through the lighting? Is there a lace curtain that's projecting a really weird image on the floor? It's just the same when we look at clouds and we can make shapes out of them. You know, it's not anything set in stone. It's what we're wanting to see. And I think that's the same as well with, you know, paradelia and the way that we hear EVPs that we really want to elicit a certain response. We really want to hear certain words and, you know, I think it just comes from that sheer want, wanting so badly to have caught something paranormal that we will, many, many people, even my, I'm guilty of it myself. I think I've caught something weird and, you know, I can't explain it and I'm so eager for it to be paranormal, but then I'm just like, no, it does sound like a door or that does sound like someone breathing or, you know, where was everyone? Are they accounted for in this image? Like there's just so much that needs to be put into it before we can deem it paranormal and it's just not done enough for my taste anyway for 
me to have anything conclusive, even from my own investigating. You know, when you've got a group of 20 people and you're taking them through a location and you've caught this really wicked EVP, but you're just not sure where everyone was and who had a hold of your recorder at what point in the night. And you've really got to be careful. And you did ask me earlier about how I developed my investigating style. And it is because of that kind of influence of people manipulating environments and, you know, having the access to your equipment that I do investigate either alone or with one other person. Like I don't have big groups. I much prefer being solo. And if I do go in with another team, I need to have investigated with them before, before I will ever trust my evidence, whether it's great or crap. <laughs> um, I need to know who I'm investigating with. Are they as skeptical as I am? Are they as thorough as I am? Are they in this for genuine evidence or are they in this just for Instagram followers and for putting up, you know, pretty special posts? Like I need to know. And yeah, I work for a company that, you know, we do ghost tours and we get some evidence. I would definitely take all of that with a grain of salt, even though, you know, sometimes guests tell me some amazing stories and I'm like, I wasn't there though. I don't know. I can't tell you. Or people will send me photos and can you tell me if this is a ghost? Like, well, from my experience, no. But if you really believe that, then no, it's about what you did that night. I'm just trying to give people ideas as well. Like if you want to be more experienced and be more deducive about what you're getting, this is what I would do. I would set up your experiment, check your lighting, check where your people are in the room and be a bit more thorough about it before you can say, hey, yeah, I'm a ghost hunter and yeah, I've got some pretty cool evidence because a lot of people, the majority of people do not do that. And it, it's frustrating. <laughs> no, 100%. To be honest, at one point I, I mean, I'm doing a fair few more interviews these days because to produce the content where I'm just presenting, um, you know, a topic by myself, it's it's literally like a week's worth of like full time <laughs> Uh, research, you know, and that's that's difficult to do. But um, when I wasn't doing so many interviews, I was being very selective and I had a lot of paranormal investigators reach out to me and I kind of just started saying no to them um, unless there was something that kind of seemed, you know, interesting or at least like with you, like having all that uh, evidence you're just posting straight up online, um, that it's accessible, people can actually hear it because that is the biggest pet peeve of people being like, oh, I've got all this great stuff but they don't, it's not easily accessible. Um, but yeah, because a lot of like, I don't know, I'm not going to say like a lot of paranormal investigators are, you know, full of it all, but you know, it is that thing of you need to sort of know that they're in it for the right reasons and they're being um, just logical about it because yeah, of course, it's very easy to get caught up in it all. And as you said, you know, the idea of how the human brain wants to make sense of everything where that's why we see faces and everything or, and that's my I have a bit of a pet peeve with um, obviously like EVPs where it just sounds like, you know, noise. And then they're like, oh, no, it said this. And then, of course, your brain, um, then now it's actually yeah, seen the subtitles. Yeah, it, it pieces that together and it goes, oh, yeah, that's that's totally what that says. Or even spirit boxes, you know, like, I mean, sometimes things are very strange with those, you know, very massive kind of coincidence. But, I mean, a lot of the time, I mean, you are just hearing – words that could be related but you're like oh it's it's it is reaching quite a fair bit but no I think I shared one with you about that um the spirit box where I had the flashing lights and then it says they're sparkly yeah now it's so clear to me that you can hear that connection um between you know I'm describing what an object does it flashes mm. and then the EVP comes through they're sparkly like for me that was so clear that I couldn't not share it. Yeah. And yet it's completely open to interpretation. Criticism. It's completely yeah. open to anyone to come through and tell me that's not what is being said. But in my experience and doing this, getting a class A response like that is rare. Yeah. And that's why I like to put it out there. And, you know, it doesn't really matter the reasons why people get into ghost hunting or their intentions. I think what matters is the weight that they put into the evidence that they're producing. And that's what discredits a lot of people's um work. And for me, I, that's why I genuinely respect people who do go in there with the passion of setting up an experiment and, you know, not being disappointed when nothing happens and understanding that it's a completely unknown world and anything that we do get 
regardless of its quality or, you know, it's something that we've never experienced before and let's just take it with a grain of salt and just be as thorough as possible. I'm not trying to slander ghost no. adventure, like ghost investigators either no. on the paranormal investigators. I'm just trying to say that there's a lot of information out there, like with any topic, but there's not, that this is one in particular that has no guidebook. This is one that doesn't have any specific rules and it does have people who are just willy-nilly mm. posting whatever they want. But we have that beautiful internet out there that can put out images that are false, put out videos that are false, and it's really hard to discern what's real and what's not. And when you do put in that time and effort as an investigator to really knuckle down and get into the nitty-gritty of what we are really researching here, which is, is there something other than us, um, it can be really frustrating for have, to have people discredit that and to not put in that effort and that time. And I'm glad that you can understand as well that there are some of us out here that are trying. <laughs> we are really trying. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I'm, I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the evidence that you found. And I guess why don't we start with the um, REM pod in Geelong and maybe even if you want to go into what a REM pod is for people listening as well and what was the story behind that? Yeah, so a REM pod is just a piece of ghost hunting equipment that we use. Uh, it has an antenna on it and it has a field around it that it, it emits and when something comes into contact with it, whether it's a physical touch like from a human or whether it's the spirit coming to break that barrier, an alarm will signal uh, we were at Geelong Jail. I've investigated here for years. Like I go a couple of times a year, probably done over 30 investigations there. Some nights it's very active. In the last few years, though, it's been very, very quiet. And I like to take people to this location. It's a really good introduction. It's still scary. It's a bloody jail, for God's sake. It's massive. Um, but the activity there is quite manageable and bearable in general. I've seen some weird things here over the years and we've had some weird experiences, but overall um, it's quite a tame place and it's one of my favourite fall catching these EVPs because they just like to cooperate for some reason at the jail. This night, though, with this REM pod activity, not much was happening and I was getting pretty frustrated. It felt like we were being followed around all night. We were hearing footsteps, hearing doors move, but it was always in front of where we were going and I was just at my wits end. And I don't normally provoke. I like to challenge more than anything. Um, not because I believe that something's going to attack me or um, join me or follow me home or anything like that. It's more so I just don't treat people badly. And I don't want, even in spirit form, if it is a human or whatever it is, I don't want to be rude, but challenging more so. I think it taps into that psyche of not wanting to appear weak to someone. And um, especially if you're in a jail and you've been confronted by a female as a male prisoner, I just feel like you would want to show off a little bit. So that's tend to, that tends to be my attitude to investigating at the jail. And like I said, we were very quiet all night and I just wanted to show this group what this jail was capable of. I put a REM pod in the doorway of a known pedophile at this jail. Um, I left it there for hours. I was just about to go get it. And as I approached up the staircase, it started to alarm, which was pretty cool. And I called out and um, I said, keep going, keep going, which it was doing, and then nothing. But I sat there for another 10 minutes or so, waiting for it to go off again. And I just went, what, can't you do it anymore? And it, I asked it to touch it just a little bit. And then I said, what, you can't do it anymore. And it went, dude. <laughs> Can you tap it lightly? Is that too hard? Oh. It was very validating for me. Um, it was because it was the length of time that I asked. It was just touching a little bit. It was very responsive. It was great. Uh, a very good response for me. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, no, that's very interesting that it was yeah responding to exactly what you were asking. You know, it wasn't random in any nature. I mean, as people would have just heard there, it's, it's obviously intelligent. It's It's interacting with you and listening to exactly what you're after. I think it was that challenge as well. I wasn't rude. I wasn't disrespectful, but I did set forward what you can't do it. And then it did it straight away. I was like, <laughs> good, <laughs> very good. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And it's great too. I feel like we're probably places like that where 
a lot of investigating would be going on. I suppose these spirits are probably a little more familiar with, you know, this equipment and it might not be that the first time they've used it. They've kind of warmed up. And as you said, you've been there a few times now. So who knows, maybe, you know, there's actually a bit of like a relationship that's formed. And I always find that interesting with investigators going back to these places because like I anything. I can send you another EVP of when I've walked in and of the Geelong jail and mm. it said to me, Hannah, come here, please. So it, it recognised me before I was even in the building properly. Um, that it might be a good thing to enter just to that point as well because yeah. Yeah, it knew, they knew I was there, which was really cool. <laughs> amazing i love that it's those like little moments are just like what a win you know it's that's awesome i felt like i was being welcomed like come here please like, okay <laughs> sure. yeah so polite <laughs> why don't you tell us about the um their sparkly evp that you got yeah, so I was at Walhalla. Um, Walhalla is a small mining town in Victoria and um, it's only got 20 permanent residents in it. So people, you know, it's abandoned basically. It's a small little town and um, it's got a gold mine, which is what we were mainly going to investigate with. Someone had died in that gold mine only a couple of years ago as well because they fell through while hiking. Um, so this area is still quite notorious for all of its death um, and destruction that has happened through the area. Now, where we were was in a corner shop. It's the very first building uh, you get to. They've got some beautiful old print presses in there and um, it's very well preserved. And I highly recommend even just doing the day tours down there. They've got a really cool cemetery that is in the cliffside. So all of the graves are poking outwards. Like it, it, it's unreal. Um, but yeah, we were in there and I was just explaining how cat balls work. So these cat balls, you literally, they're just cat toys um, and when they get moved, they flash different colours. So they flash blue, red and yellow. And I was just explaining to the spirits, if you want to come up and touch them, this is what they're going to do. They're going to flash like this. They're sparkly. And then an EVP comes off, comes over and says, they're sparkly. Actually, what I said was they flash like this, they're pretty. And then the EVP said they're sparkly. Uh, that was a pretty cool cap capture. They, they flash like this, they're all pretty. Yeah, I love that. I've had an experience where we used cat balls as well. And the investigators I was with um, often said they, they bring them out probably at every investigation, but it's very rare that they get any interaction with them. But um, we, yeah, literally these balls started lighting up and then we were like, okay, maybe someone moved and then we all kind of tried to actually make these things light up and they just wouldn't. Um, so that was, that's pretty cool. I, I love that, that they're literally, it's just a cat toy, but what an interesting way to actually get, uh, potentially a response from a spirit. I find as well with, um, child spirits or buildings that are alleged that they have a lot of child spirits. Something that I will do is I'll set up games and when we do our sessions, I'll set up music and I'll make deals with them. And I'll say, if you can touch this ball, I'll play this nursery rhyme for you. Or one thing that I love to do at our Point Cook homestead is I set up gummy bears and I say, you, if you knock down the red one, um, you can take it as a little treat, but don't tell matron or something like that. And um, they are learning and it is happening regularly. And I just find it so fascinating. So doing something that is interactive, I'm finding gets more responses. And I don't know if it's my excitement or if something's just learning or... Um, it's keeping me coming back more. It's really, really cool. And just finally, we have to talk about the uh, the Beechworth Asylum EVP that you caught. Now, I listened to this yesterday uh, quite a few times and I was, I mean, I was pretty shocked. Like you can see in the waveform um, in your audio software, like this thing is loud. Like it is clear as day and I would love to hear exactly what happened uh, on that investigation. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah, I've never felt uh, evil entity presence uh, before. And, and I didn't actually personally experience this either. So listening back to this and actually uncovering what we'd found was the only time I've ever felt threatened by an entity. And that was, well, since being an investigator anyway, um, it was really, really difficult to hear because you don't quite know what you've come across. And it does make the mind turn a little bit more like, okay, maybe this is something a bit more sinister. Maybe there is something out there. This was um, probably 10 years ago now at Beechworth Asylum. And I was going up there pretty regularly once a month they used to hold investigations 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And we would take groups up with us. And basically it was my intro to being a tour guide. I wasn't working for that company, but I was gathering people from the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne where I live. And I was taking them up to Beechworth. Um, I'd done this for a couple of months at this point. And um, yeah, I'd gathered this group together of people I knew very well. Um, and we went up there, had a pretty normal night, non-eventful, but everyone was on edge. Now this place, this asylum is one of the most active buildings I've ever been to. And whether that's our psyche um, telling us to be on high alert because thousands of people died there, whether it's the oppression, whether it's the fort, whether it's the horror movies at play, who knows, but we were all pretty tense. And uh, this at this time, the facility were holding what was known as a straitjacket challenge. So they were taking you to the most haunted building, to the most haunted area and putting you in a straitjacket and leaving you in there. It's not something that I like to particularly uh, experiment with because I know that I'd be scared by that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, but one of the people on the tour was very, very keen to give it a go. And I'm all for that. If you want to test yourself, please, by all means, do so. Um, so we locked him in this building. Now it was called Gravilia, which is the men's criminally insane ward at Beechworth Asylum. We locked him in to the, there's a back room there, which is where all the main ward would have been. And there's a bathroom in between the front door. And then to the side of that, to the right there, there is a surgical area. They used to have a dentist chair in there and a morgue table set up. That morgue table is now actually at Geelong Jail as well, if you um, if anyone in Victoria wants to know where the history of the asylums are, are they're all sprinkled around different locations now. Um, that's just a fun fact for you all. But um, we left two other people in that room, mainly because if anything happened to this person while they're in the straitjacket, um, we kind of needed someone to be able to let us know because he couldn't move, he couldn't get up and he couldn't really do anything. Um, the interesting part about this building as well is it's half brick, half window. So you can see all around you from about two foot, three foot up, but you can't see anything below. So you wouldn't be able to see legs, but you'd be able to see torsos if you're catching my drift. Now, what I did is in between putting him in that straitjacket and leaving these two other female investigators in the front of the building, I dropped a voice recorder on the floor on purpose and I placed it, not dropped it, but I left it there. And I didn't tell him because I thought he might be the kind of person that would set something up. And I also wanted to be able to catch him in the event that he was walking around or trying to get up or or whatever. And on the off chance that I did catch something paranormal, I was hoping, you know, we're always hopeful. Maybe yeah. something will happen. He kind of does what sound we'd... like the kind of guy who, just from describing him just very briefly there, you could kind of imagine he might be kind of the one... It just sounds like, yeah, he's, he might put it on, but that's good thinking on your part. Exactly. And I just wanted to be able to disprove it. Like, <laughs> I wanted to be like, no, I caught it on recording. You didn't even know it was there. Like, shut up, <laughs> basically. And um, what I'd done is I'd taken the rest of the group to the building directly next door, which is called Olivine. Olivine was just for um, single cell inmates uh, directly next door, still male, a male area. Uh, we were in there for about half an hour. And we were getting some pretty compelling activity in there as well. We even had the giant dining room table move, which was poltergeist activity like I've never seen. I've seen some crazy stuff since then, but that at that time was pretty compelling. And we were all very on edge until we hear this massive, massive scream. We 
for something, someone had been injured. Now, what we'd done in that building, which probably wasn't the safest thing to do, is we had locked the doors behind us so they couldn't get out. Our theory behind this, though, was to keep them safe while they were in that building um, because it is an open compound. Anyone can kind of come in off the street. And while we weren't together as a big group, we just wanted to make sure they were secure. Um, But this made us panic a little bit when we could hear them absolutely screaming, like, in fear. So we just thought someone had been hurt genuinely. We run over there shaking as we're trying to get this lock open. And we can hear the girls like yelling from the inside, get us out. We got them out uh, and they ran straight to their cars. And then as we're going through the building, everyone's, I, my heart is pounding because I'm waiting to find someone injured or something. And he's still sat on the floor in the back ward room asking what the hell had happened. Like he just heard the girls screaming. He had no idea. (laughs) So anyway, we were all over it at this point. It was probably 20 to 4 in the morning. We'd been going for 10 hours or whatever it had been at this stage. And we were all driving back to Melbourne that night. So we just called it a night. But the girls, I had to know what had happened. And I said to them, if someone in the building we need to know because we can't obviously lock it up in good faith knowing that someone might be in there tell us what happened they said that they were facing each other sat face to face on this morgue table they felt safe being in the center of the room and adjacent to this surgical unit is a long corridor that runs the length of the building um, but it was more of a staff access corridor and it's on the outside of Gravilia facing the bullpit buildings. And I'm just being more specific for people who have ever been to the area. They might be able to relate to what I'm talking about. Um, but this again is all windows, all glass. And they're facing it and they said that they see this woman come out of a cell, come down the doorway and start charging at them running. And what's interesting about this recording is when you hear this initial scream, which is what we discovered at home, was this big red chunk of audio that no one had done, was that there was the two girls' screams immediately afterwards. So you can hear the first girl see this woman, then you can hear the second girl react and see this woman when she turns around to see her friends screaming. But before all of that happens, there is this initial loud outburst scream many people say they think it says out or get out I'm not quite sure myself I think it might be a bit of that paradelia working at effect matrixing hearing something that's not there But whatever it is, no one was responsible for it in that building. The person that was closest to that voice recorder was the male. It's very clearly a female. The two females that were caught on that recording screaming, you can see in the program that their screams are much further away. They're smaller blue lines in the dictation recorder. And it never goes to red near them. It only goes to red when you speak directly on top of it and it's kind of to let you know that you're too close. So it's a good 30 metres apart from where these girls are and maybe a good 20 metres away from where this guy is. And I, to this day, it is my best piece of evidence. It is my most unexplained piece of evidence and I didn't even get to experience it. I wasn't even there, but I think it's phenomenal and um, it's just one of those pieces that I'm just so proud of and I hope everyone can get as chilled as I do listening to it still all these years later. I think so. I love hearing the story behind it because, you know, I only really heard the audio. Now, picturing the situation and I guess how it was all kind of set up. It It's pretty frightening, honestly, like what you've actually captured there and just the whole situation um, that you were all in. But just amazing that you just thought to, I might just leave this recorder here. And it's just weird things like that. Like who would have thought that 
you would have actually then in that moment captured something that is well terrifying but also very compelling um, in your research. And I think as well, what's most compelling for me is no one in that building said they heard the scream. The two girls just said they saw the apparition. And the guy said he had no idea what was going on. The girls were just screaming and he didn't know why. He didn't see anything. And he would have had a view of that corridor as well. Whether he actually saw it or not, he says he didn't. Um, You know, I think he would tell me if he saw something at this stage. But, um, yeah, the two girls' screams directly after this first initial scream. And it's not even over the top. It's this that initial scream ends, then there's a beat, and then the girls scream. And the girls' screams are separate because one sees and the other turns to react and she sees it. That's what's phenomenal for me. I just It's my favourite piece of evidence I've caught. I wish more people could see it and experience it. I don't know how to explain it. It's perfection to me. I love it. <laughs> no, well, thank you for... Or doing what you do, but then sharing it with all of us as well, because it's, I mean, it's great, I think, to really see a lot of compelling evidence that you've found, but not, you know, as you said, you're picking, you're hand selecting those those moments, which you honestly think like you can't really disprove or you can't really make sense of it. Uh, and I think that is so important within this realm, um, just for trying to find answers or at least, you know, providing people with the best evidence to, you know, really make our cases. And I don't know, once again, like someone with your sort of passion, I love, I love people who have their, well, yeah, their passions. And, you know, as you said, you still work a full-time job and this is what you like to do on the side. And it's just something that you're just driven to do. And I think it's such a great thing that you're doing. And um, yeah, I just thank you personally um, for what it is actually that you're doing because I take it very seriously, as I've mentioned to you before, and it's just great that there are people like yourself who are out there putting in the time and from doing that and doing it correctly, I think that's probably why you have gotten these incredible pieces of evidence that you've you know, then actually shared and made accessible to people. So no, thank you so much for everything you've shared just now. Thank you for saying that. It does mean a lot because... Evidence doesn't come every week, doesn't come every month, doesn't even come every year sometimes. Like it really takes a long time to find something that, hey, I cannot explain this and that's pretty cool. And that's what keeps me still in the game because there's a lot that I can explain, a lot that I can dismiss and a lot that I do. And to come across something that I just go, well, I'm back in, baby. Like that has really (laughs) drawn me back. Like that's really cool. I really like it. No, I love that. How can people get in touch with you, Hannah, to maybe come on an investigation or even just to actually have access to your evidence that you're sharing? Well, right now, because I do work full-time and I also study full-time, and I also do this ghost hunting stuff every weekend. I just run an Instagram account called h.hauntsparanormal. Um, I have done a couple of other interviews as well, um, which is just, you know, different perspectives of my stories throughout the years. Um, that's all through that Instagram page though. But if you do want to come on a tour with me, I do work for Lantern Ghost Tours in Victoria and I primarily do the Point Cook locations, Altona location and Williamstown location. Uh, but to get those dates and when I'm actually working on those tours, if you want to do, do want to meet me personally, uh, it's best to message me on those on that Instagram account and I'll be able to tell you where I'm at, what I'm doing. And if you guys also have tours that you would love another perspective to come on, I am very open to coming on tours with people. I love to experience different locations and just meet new people. It's how we learn different techniques as well. And I'm not going to be very critical. I'm not going to come and be like, don't do that. That's not fair. Uh, That's not right or whatever. I'm not that kind of person. I'll just keep my opinions to myself. But um, I do love to come and experience new things. So if anyone wants to reach out and just wants to go experience something different, um, please let me know. I'm very open to that kind of stuff. Amazing. No, well, I very much so appreciate what you're doing and your time for speaking with me. It's great to, I love getting to meet new people, um, even though I feel like I've somewhat kind of known you just from seeing all your posts and so on. It's kind of funny, but yeah, to actually um, hear your perspective on it and I love that. Uh, I feel like we're very aligned in a lot of the stuff too, which gives, um, I don't know, just gives me a lot of like confidence within, I guess, the research that's actually being done and that we are all sort of, you know, working simultaneously together 
um, to, I don't know, just try to figure out what is actually going on with the unknown. I'm not sure you could have predicted that this podcast would go this way just from a random message a couple of days ago, but I do like to be upfront and honest about it. And it's not just about, yep, ghosts exist, they're real. It's more about, I don't know, this is my perspective of being trained in psychology and uh, understanding people's emotions and how it impacts us and rational thinking and even just empirical evidence from from my science background and learning how to debunk things and look for alternatives. I think it really adds to the way that I personally collect evidence and I hope that people can understand and respect that. I'm not trying to be rude when I say I don't believe you. It's not personal. It's just more so, hey, we all have our own set of beliefs and um, this is just how I collect evidence. And I don't know, I th- I'm really grateful that you said that you appreciate it because I do put a lot of time into making it just right. Well, there you go. There was my chat with Hannah and her Instagram again is h.hauntsparanormal. So definitely go give her a follow because she'll frequently be posting some interesting bits and pieces of evidence that I think are really convincing. And I think, as you just heard in the interview just now, uh, I definitely don't for a I think there's no doubt in my mind anyway that um, what she's finding is, you know, some really heavy hitting evidence. You know, she's taking the time, really sorting through and really sharing those bits, which is great as well because I feel like some of the stuff is a little bit of gatekeeping or you hear of such great evidence and it's not really as accessible, but she's just putting it out there and uh, really just, I think, adding a lot of value to paranormal research as a whole. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, follow our socials, all that stuff. If you ever want to reach out to me as well, you can email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast at gmail.com or even just shoot me a DM on Instagram. Thank you guys and I'll catch you in another podcast episode really soon. Thanks. Bye.